Stay standing just one more second. What a great Easter crowd. It is wonderful. Y'all are so anxious to sit down, aren't you? I got to stand for the next few minutes and y'all have to sit, so y'all bear with me. Okay, this is a positive message today. Two weeks ago, it was on hell, right? Ugh, down it, right? You know, we talk about tithing and money. Ooh, down it, right? Okay, this is good stuff. So I want to I wanna get you loosened up. Let, just practice. Say amen. Say, hallelujah. hallelujah. All right, let's give a fist pump on this one. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, and you have permission. You have permission to celebrate with us today. You know, it's funny. We'll go watch four-year-olds play baseball, and it's fun, and it's exciting, but in eternity, it really doesn't matter. And then but we scream, shout, and holler, and we come to church, and we're talking about great things, and we act like we're at a funeral. Part of that's probably our fault as preachers, but... Easter Sunday, what a great day. We pastors call it Super Bowl Sunday. It's uh, the highlight of the year. Last year in America, this is going to blow you away, blew me away. In America, we spent 16, almost $17 billion. Now, a billion is a million times a thousand, Okay. One million dollars times a thousand, it's a billion. We spent almost $17 billion on Easter eggs and candy and new clothes. Isn't that not phenomenal? Now, folks, I'm, I'm cool with the clothes. I'm married and I got women and all of them, you know, grandkids, granddaughters and, and daughters. I understand that. I grew up with two sisters. I love chocolate candy. And by the way, you go tomorrow and they have the Easter bunny things on sale. You can get some for your pastor help get my blood sugar up, those kind of things. Amen. I like that. But that's a lot of money. And, you know, here's the interesting thing, too. There was a survey done a few years back, and they asked people in America, not people in Russia, not people in Iran, they asked people in America, what is Easter fundamentally about? And right at 60%, right at 60% of Americans did not say that it was about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal, isn't it? That, that's, that's phenomenal. Mark 16, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, we'll have the Scriptures on the screen. <clears throat> We're going to look at the, at the... There's a couple of things fundamentally Easter is about, and we're going to look at one of those things today. We're going to look at new beginnings. One thing that Easter is about, if we'll let it be, it's about a fresh start and a new beginning. Now, here's the first part of that new beginning. Jesus Christ, folks, is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. Mark 16, to give you a little background, this is Sunday morning, what we're going to see. On Friday, Jesus had been brutally murdered. Now, it's very important. Jesus wasn't just beat up and, and all that. Jesus was brutally murdered. I mean, he was, he was killed. And in, in, in Mark 16, we begin to see how the people are responding. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they may go to anoint Jesus' body. Now, Jesus, Jesus had died late Friday afternoon. Now, to the Jewish person, the Sabbath started at sundown on Friday night, and it ended on sundown Saturday. Now, it's not like, you know, for us, Sunday begins when you wake up Sunday morning, right? 
for them, the Sabbath, the holy day, began at sundown Friday night, and, and then it ended uh, at sundown on Saturday night. So they couldn't do any kind of shopping or anything until Saturday night. So I think this is pretty interesting. Men, 2,000 years ago, women were still shopping on Saturday night. So your wife is not odd. It, it's not a new phenomenon. And they, it says they go to buy spices. Now, let's, we're looking verse 2 and 3. <clears throat> Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they went on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Now, folks, this is so important. They were not going to the tomb to meet Jesus arisen. They were going to the tomb to do the final Jewish rituals for burial. They did not embalm. They could not do it Friday because when he was taken down from the cross and all the confusion and everything that happened, and then the Sabbath was right there on the verge. They couldn't do it then. So they are going to his tomb not to go, man, it's Easter Sunday. It's the first Easter Sunday. They were going sadly to anoint his dead body. And they were very concerned about how are we going to get this this stone rolled away from the tomb. We have a picture, and we certainly don't know. I don't think anyone knows if that's the actual Jesus tomb, but it's a very good picture of an ancient tomb that wealthy people had. Jesus was not wealthy, but it was, he was given a tomb from a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And as you see, it's a cave, and you have this big round circular rock. Leave that there for a second, Brian. What they did is they cut a groove in front of the cave where the stone could be rolled into place rather easily, but it was extremely difficult. I mean, it was going to take several strong men to push that thing away. So they're going to the tomb. They're not expecting Jesus to be alive. They're expecting him to be dead. And their question they, that they keep asking themselves, the tense of the verbiage in verse 3, is they're repeatedly, they're looking down, they're heartbroken, they're sad, they're saying, who is going to push this this stone away? Who's going to push the stone so we can get in there and do the final things for Jesus' burial? Very significant. And then they get a rather radical surprise. Verse 4 through 8, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. A lot of these tombs had kind of uh, multiple levels. You'd go in maybe just a kind of an entry part of the tomb, and then back a little farther is where they put the bodies. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. The word risen in your Bibles, folks, it doesn't mean this was a spiritual rising or a symbolic rising. It means someone literally physically gets up and walks out. In other words, that they're saying Jesus Christ didn't come back to life to, you know, in your mind so you can wish well, but Jesus walked out of the tomb is what that is saying. He came back to life. And go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, it says in verse 8. They said nothing to anyone, at least for a while, because 
they were afraid. Now, in Matthew 28, it says, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this story is told. Matthew says, as they, they ran from the tomb, they ran into Jesus, and there he was. And they fell at his feet, and they held his feet, which showed that he was alive. It was a way of worshiping him. And they worshiped Jesus, man. They celebrated that he was alive. Now, here's the whole ball of wax right here. I mean, if this is wrong, we need to go on home right now. We'll go ahead and take an offering, of course, but then we need to go on home. Did Jesus Christ really die, and did he really come back to life? Did he really die and really come back to life? Everything rises and falls on that. Folks, never buy into the hokey, silly, well, it really doesn't matter if Jesus was who he said he was. You'll just live a peaceful and better life if you follow the way of religion. It's not what the Bible teaches. Time Magazine, July of 2011, had a very interesting article. A man in South Africa, it was in a rural area of South Africa, had a terrible asthma attack. And the people with him, obviously not medical professionals, thought he was dead. They called the people from the morgue, who obviously were not on top of their game either, and they said he is dead. They take this man to the morgue. And over a period of 21 hours, he eventually ends up in the freezer in the morgue. And there's a poor little guy working that evening in the, in the morgue, and he begins to hear screaming and kicking from the freezer. Now, let me ask you, if you're working at a morgue and you hear screaming and kicking out of one of the body freezers, what do you do? You run like a four-year-old scared girl, Amen. I mean, I would, and that's exactly what that guy did. He beat it out of there quickly, and they, they, they got the authorities, and the less cowardly people came in there. They opened up, and here's this guy freezing, psychologically scarred, I'm sure, for many years, but he was alive. Now, folks, he didn't resurrect. He's never dead. He was just never dead. They were not on top of their game medically, and they put a live man in the morgue, what about Jesus? Folks, let me tell you a little bit about history. The Romans did not crucify people to punish them. They crucified them to kill them. Oh, there's a theory among liberal theologians and Bible people called the swoon theory. The swoon theory says that, that Jesus was beaten, he was punished, he was nailed to the cross, and it knocked him out. And so they took him all that cross. He was still alive, and they put him in that cool cave. I guess there was some Wheaties and some oatmeal over in the corner. And, and he was revived by the coolness, and two or three days later, he just pushes that stone out of the way and walks out. And the Greek word for that is baloney, baloney, baloney. Folks, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross, and the Scriptures say that he literally, physically arose from the dead, okay? Without that, we have nothing. With that, we have everything. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great, almost a legal statement about this. It, God, through Paul, says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, literally, physically was raised, according to the Scripture. And that he appeared to Peter, notice we saw that once earlier, and then to the twelve. And then it goes on, after that he appeared to more than 500 people 
at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Politically correct way of saying you're dead. Then he appeared to James, his half-brother, and then to all the apostles. And then he says, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Several years ago, I called Ryan Madden. Ryan's an attorney in our church. Ryan, are you here this morning? I don't see him here today. Well, that's good. I can talk about him then. And, and I called him and I said, Ryan, if a, if a lawyer has an eyewitness, what does that do to the case? And he goes, man, it makes it solid. I mean, if you've got a semi-credible eyewitness who can say, I saw this happen, that adds a lot of weight to your case. I said, what if you have four eyewitnesses? He said, you almost have a done deal at that point. I said, Ryan, what about 500? There may be four or 500 people in this room today. All of us saw the same thing and would testify to that in court. He said, it's an absolute done deal. I said, Ryan, with 500, could you win a case? He didn't think that was very funny. But uh, in other words, what Paul was challenging them 2,000 years ago, he was saying, if you doubt that Jesus came back to life, buddy, we got a resume of people who can tell you that he did. See, here's the beginning of a fresh start. Jesus died on the cross, and he literally physically arose from the grave. He was born 33 years earlier, and then he walks out of the tomb, and that screams a lot of things. But one thing that says to you and me this morning, if we want it, we can have a fresh start, a new beginning. It was a new beginning when he was born. He sealed it, the new beginning when he walked out of the tomb. Wow, that's awesome. So here's what I want to throw back at you. You today have a chance for a new beginning. Now, I put that word chance in there because God is not going to force this on you. I really wish that we could have a shot. And we could inject you with this. I'd get Dr. Blackwelder up here, and we would inject you with a new beginning. Wouldn't that be great? I've always wanted to give people shots. <laughs> Wrong kind of doctor, though, right? We let Mark do that. But we can't do that. We can't do that. You, you have an opportunity for a new beginning if you are willing to capitalize on that opportunity. You see, folks, 2,000 years ago, as they began to digest that Jesus was alive, they knew <clears throat> this just wasn't something they were going to argue theologically with people. They knew this wasn't just something that they were going to uh, talk about in their Bible study class. They knew that this meant that there was a fresh possibility for their life. You know, at Easter, since I've been alive, people always wore new clothes. I mean, uh, new dresses, new, new sweater vests, whatever, you know, that was, that was a common thing. And, and you know, and, and you probably thought that happened from Wall Street or Macy's. Actually, the idea of wearing new clothes at, at Easter started probably six, seven hundred years ago in the Middle Ages because people, what they would do on Easter Sunday, the, the ladies and the men would put on new robes and new garments. They would put on bright colors. They would walk through the streets and they would walk through the fields and they would want people to know we've got a new start. It's a fresh day in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you personally this morning, and some of you desperately need to hear this. I just hope you'll hear it. There's a chance today for a fresh start. There's a chance this morning, if you will take it, 
for a brand new day in your life. Here's how it unfolds. What does it mean he came back to life and you have a fresh start? Number one, it means God really loves you. And you know, if you're taking notes, you might write, because this is where some of you are, God still loves me. Not only does God love you, but God still loves you. Verse 7 is a little verse that's so easy to read over. It says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Did you get that? He had, he had 10 other disciples besides Peter, but he only names one. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, look what it says. And then he appeared to who? To Peter first and then to the other guys. Now, a little background about what Peter had done a few days earlier, and it is ugly. In Mark chapter 14, verse 71 and 72, as Jesus is on trial, it says, he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and he wept. Guys, here's what's happening. A few days earlier, at Jesus' most crucial time in his life, when he desperately needed help, when he needed loyalty, when he needed his back covered, when he needed friends to be there with him, his closest, one of his closest friends, Peter, Peter, Peter said, Jesus, man, I've got your back all the time. And then the pressure got on. And you know what Peter did? He said not once, twice, three times. He said, man, I don't even know who Jesus is. And the third time, it says he was letting the words fly, too. I wonder how Peter felt when he heard Jesus was alive. I imagine at first it was like, my, Jesus is alive. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You know, because I really, really, really spit in his face a few days ago. And you wonder what happened when they met alone. I mean, wouldn't it have been real easy if you'd have been Jesus? To say, Peter, you know what? We were tight and we were close. But not anymore, buddy. I gave you everything and you dissed me as bad as it could happen. But you know, we know from the rest of Scripture that's not what happened. I can only imagine how Jesus and Peter hug. Men don't like to hug, but they hug. Men don't like to cry. I can promise you there were tears flowing in that meeting. And Jesus patting Peter on the head and the back and saying, Peter, buddy, I still love you. I wonder how many this morning need to hear that Jesus still loves you. Madeline Murray O'Hare was an infamous atheist. In fact, she is the one that's really accredited or credited with getting prayer out of the school in the 60s. One of her sons became a Christian, and here's what he said about mom. He said, mom was the meanest, vilest person I ever knew. In the 90s, another one of her sons and her and a granddaughter were brutally murdered. 
And the government came in because they owed a lot of taxes and they took their possessions and they auctioned them off. And a man actually got one of Madeline Murray O'Hare's diaries. Wouldn't you have loved to have had that? One thing he found written in the diary, this is so shaking to me, several times this mean, vile, atheist lady wrote, I just wish somebody somewhere would love me. I just wish somebody somewhere would love me. You know, I I wish I would have had the opportunity, and people did have the opportunity, to tell her, Madeline, Jesus loves you. And I want to tell you this morning, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your past, regardless of your present, Easter is about a second beginning and a fresh start. And one thing it's about is that Jesus Christ loves you, and he still loves you. I hear that too, but we're waterproof, so we're good. Don't worry. Here's the second thing Easter means when we talk about fresh starts. It means that your past can be forgiven. It means your past can be forgiven. What powerful words. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. Now, guys, here's how I could see this playing out in the real world. Jesus meets with Peter, and he hugs him, and he says, Peter, I love you. Man, I love you, but I cannot get past what you've done. Can't get past it. You've been too rotten. Over and over and over, you run that fat yap of yours. You get in trouble. You say things you shouldn't. And then when I needed you the most, Peter, you stuck me in the back. Peter, I love you but I cannot forgive you. And that's exactly what did not happen. Jesus put his arms around Peter and he loved him. We know from the rest of the scriptures, one of the things he must have said, Peter, I know you're sorry. I know you want to change. And Peter, I forgive you. How many of you have ever made any mistakes? Let me tell you real quick, there's three kinds of people in this room this morning. There's, there's people that are over, you, you are just overwhelmed with guilt from your past. We're going to answer that problem in a second. There's some of you who healthily, in a healthy way, you realize you're a sinner. You realize you've got stuff you shouldn't do in your life. The third person is the one that's in trouble, and that's the one you don't think you do anything wrong. You're pretty good at seeing everybody else's sins, but you just don't see it in your own life. And Jesus, those are the ones Jesus said, I can't help. You can't help anybody that doesn't realize they got a problem. I want to tell you, whether you realize it or not, you've got junk in your life, you've got junk in your past. I speak as one that has all of that. Years ago, in a kindergarten... I don't know if it still happens in school. It happened when I was growing up. But, but the kids would bring the teacher presents like Christmas and, and the birthday. And the kindergarten's teacher's birthday, all the little kids were bringing her presents. And she began to see a pattern that whatever mom and dad did, that's what she got. She gets a little package. She smells it. It's from the florist's 
uh, you know, it's a florist's boy. And she says, I bet it's a flower. Opens it up, it's a corsage, everybody screams. And, and then she, she gets another box, she shakes it, smells it, it's from the guy who owns the candy store. And she says, I bet this is candy. Yeah, she tears it up and eats it and everything. And then the liquor store kid comes up. <laughs> and the liquor store kid brings her a package, and it, she notices it's wet on the bottom. And so she looks at it, and she, she puts her finger up there, and she kind of touches it, and then she tastes it. And she says, is this wine? And the, the little girl says, no. So she touches it, and she tastes it again, and she says, is this bourbon? And the little girl says, no. And she says, well, sweetie, I don't know what this is. What is it? And the little girl says, it's a puppy. That is a mistake, amen. Everybody in here's everybody in here's got their junk in your trunk. I don't I mean that I don't mean that in any kind of MTV way. You got stuff in your past, brothers and sisters. Now let's pray and go home. Now, I have some things to add to my resume of stupidity. <laughs> and you probably, in a serious note, you really do. If you, are, if you are really seeking after God and your heart is open and pure, if you're not some arrogant Pharisee, if your heart is really open and pure, oftentimes you may wonder, can God forgive me? Can, can I get past this? And I want to tell you the most beautiful thing in the world Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone said Christians in churches are the only people that shoot their wounded. Sadly, that's been true. Someone makes a mistake, someone fails, and we say, you know what, you can still come to church, but you need to sit way over here and not touch anybody. (laughs) Or you can give your money, but we're not going to ever let you sing in the choir. That's not how God operates. Someone said that there's far more grace and forgiveness in God's heart than there is sin in your past and my past. Isn't that wonderful? Far more grace and forgiveness. Friend, I want to tell you, here's what Easter is about. Easter is about if you are willing to repent and come to Jesus Christ as a Christian, as a lost person, no matter what's gone on in your life, he is willing to forgive you and give you a new beginning. Isn't that wonderful? And the last thing that fits this all together, man, he, is you got the opportunity today for a fresh start. Verse 17, it simply says, and go and tell his disciples and Peter. Here's the third scenario that I could see playing out. Peter, I love you. I love you, Peter. Peter, I forgive you. But Peter, I can't ever use you anymore. You're a hothead. You cut a Roman soldier's ear off in the garden, Peter. <laughs> you say things you shouldn't say. I even had to call you Satan a few weeks ago, remember? You do things that you shouldn't do. You deny me three times. Peter, I love you and I can forgive you, but Peter, I can't ever use you again. That's how we as Christians oftentimes treat people. That's exactly what Jesus did not do. Jesus looked at him and he said, Peter, 
I love you and I forgive you. I know where your heart is. And Peter, if you let me, I'm going to use you to change the world. And that's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. You know, this morning you may feel, and you may, you may have had churches or Christians or preachers make you feel this way, but I want to tell you, if you're willing to come to God on His terms and repent and do life His way, God can use you again. God can give you a fresh start. That's what Easter is about. In Korea, several years ago, there was a fad called well-dying. Well dying. And it was kind of interesting. In fact, it might not even be a, a bad thing. What they, what they were doing is you would go to some guru's house or business and you would crawl into a coffin. They would shut the coffin and you stay in there for 15 minutes. And the whole point is while you're in that coffin, you are reflecting on your life. Realizing that someday you will be in a coffin and Has your life been well lived? And and they say a lot of times when people get out of that coffin that they're changed, that they want a fresh start in a new beginning. Let me give you a better option. Turn to Jesus. Listen, Jesus did die. He didn't fake die. Jesus didn't lay in the tomb and pretend to be dead. Jesus died and was put in a tomb. And then he broke the power of sin and death and he walks out of that tomb. And you need a fresh start today. Maybe you need to lay in a coffin for a while. But what you need more than anything else is to look to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, let him save you today. If you are a Christian, let him take you back in his arms today. If you're a Christian and you've been on the sidelines for whatever reason for the last months or years of your life, let him get you back in the game this morning. Christmas, Easter, began at Christmas, it culminated in Easter. It's about new beginnings, folks. And fresh starts. I read part of a, a, a pastor's sermon this week. He, he preaches in Washington, D.C. And here's an observation he made. He said, we are, we are Good Friday people. We live in a Good Friday world. Good Friday was Friday. And it's called Good Friday because Jesus died for our sins. But he was using it in a probably in a better understanding of that Good Friday wasn't a good day 2,000 years ago. It was a day of death and confusion and sorrow and depression and regret and failure. That's the world we live in. That's the high school you go to. That's the neighborhood you go back to. But here's how he ended. He said, but we can be Easter people in a Good Friday world. In other words, yeah, we don't deny the junk and the stuff, but we realize Jesus came back to life. And in the midst of all this, it's not just about going to heaven someday. It's about that we can have a fresh start and forgiveness and that God still has a plan for us even today if we will embrace it. And I challenge you this morning, don't leave this building without embracing the new beginning Jesus has for you.
Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I would really challenge you right now to look within, to make the choices you need to make for that new beginning. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, why not today give your life to Christ? Will you pray with me and just say, Jesus, man, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe that you're God's son, Jesus, and and I don't understand it, but I accept that you came out of that tomb, that you arose. Come into my heart, Jesus. Today, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. But the reason we do this is to give you an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. Folks, the only thing that made all this real for Peter is he responded to it. Got to respond. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Are you ready to do that? Will you respond to Jesus today? Will you step out and come? We'll have ministers down here. We can help you with that decision. But don't stay where you're standing if God's tugging on your heart. Maybe you're ready to join the church today. One day, one way you can do that is by just easing down the aisle. We'll help you. You can join the church this morning. What a great day, Easter Sunday, to join the church. Christian, maybe it's time for you to come back to God. Maybe where you're standing or at the altar or praying with a minister, you need to re-embrace his forgiveness. And you need to say, I've been on the sidelines too long. With the help of God, I'm getting back in the game. I'm starting over this morning. Peter had to say yes, so do you. Let's stand and say yes to Jesus this morning. We'll be waiting on you.